Hey there, and welcome to another episode of Control-Alt-Azure. This episode is sponsored by Solveto. Continuous learning is the driver for success, growth, and well-being. Learn or expire. Keep your Azure skills up to date. Act now by going to solveto.fi slash pro. I'm Tobias. I'm back again with UC. What's up? Hey, Tobias. This past weekend, I went to the grocery store with my oldest son. And we don't really do that too often because we often uh, pre-order online and then we just drive there, open, open the trunk of the car, they'll put stuff in and we drive home. But this time we had the time, so we went to the grocery store and I did casually ask my son if we should perhaps bake something because it's been a while since we last baked anything. And, and he sort of silently goes to collect what he feels is required for the task. And when we get back home, Two hours later, we have fresh cinnamon buns from the oven made by my kid. And I'm super thankful for these moments in life, mostly because you are finally at that stage, at least with one kid, that they can independently create something and you can just enjoy the end result. Yeah, very nice. Sounds tasty. So on my side, I joined a few hacking challenges, internal and external. And it's amazing like how quickly things come back to you and that all the SQL injection tricks I did 10, 15 years ago still work today on some weak websites and systems. Uh, so my, my key takeaway from this is if you're working with security in any type of aspect, security operations, security architecture, secure software development, uh, if you're a security executive you know, in charge of your systems, taking these challenges is actually a great way to get up to speed with how attackers think. And I think this um, this is kind of similar to, remember when we talked about the Defender EASM or EASM, the External Attack Service Management? And also recently we talked about Microsoft Defender Threat Intelligence. Uh, and these kind of help us understand uh, and view things more from the attacker's point of view. So combining that with an active challenge of hacking where you are actually getting your hands dirty to break into systems, for fun and legally, of course, because these challenges are, are made and designed that way, it will really help you strengthen, you know, the thinking and the attack patterns that are commonly used in the field today. So it's an awesome experience. It's a lot of fun. And of course, many memories come back from the late 90s, but we don't have to revise those right now. So I think if you work with security in any aspect in your organization, take a look at those hacking challenges. You can just search for hack the box or hack in the box or whatever they're called. Uh, the, the big ones uh, or hacking challenges online. And then you can just join them. You will get a virtual machine, a virtual website, SQL servers, whatever they have for that particular challenge. You get the resources and then you have free access to attack them as well. So you can run whatever tool you have available, whatever attack vector you want to try out, you do that. Obviously, read the rules first so you don't do anything that breaks the rules. Don't attack anything that's not part of the game. But that is super super insightful so you can also get tips and tricks along the way if you get stuck which also helps think like an attacker so if your job is around security thinking like an attacker will help you increase your security posture so that's what i've been up to sounds like fun for sure so this week we are talking about the expectations on microsoft ignite 2022 so this is finally back and I can't recall when was the last time we had Ignite because each month when you work remotely and you're sort of 
busy with, with whatever you're building at work. Each month feels like a decade now. But it's on site and it's in person again. So, so Toby, any thoughts on, on the events or the ability to do on site and in person as well? Yeah, sure. I, I love this. So virtual is still a viable uh, and also a super popular option. I'm going to attend virtually because it's yeah, it's not really easy for me to travel over to Seattle to the US to attend an, an you know on-site event right now. But the in-person events are really starting to show up again. And, and there's a lot of takeaways from those. And we've both been at a number, a lot of events um, over the course of our careers. And I think we we talked about that in a couple of episodes as well, that one of the key takeaways from any like on-site conference is the networking. You get the opportunity to actually get FaceTime with people, talk one-on-one or talk to a group of individuals and really spend time together crunching on whatever it is. When you do things virtually, you don't get that opportunity the same way. But at the same time, attending these things virtually, you can really attend only the content that you desire, only the things that you want on your own schedule. Usually this is on demand, so you can just go in even after the event, two days later, you might be able to go in and download the session or, or view the session that you're interested in. So it's it's really a lot more flexible. Um, but I love the fact that it's on site again. So I, maybe we should call these like hybrid events in that sense that they are on site, but they are streamed online as well for anyone worldwide. So I think that's pretty good. And the only second thought on that is someone asked me recently, like, if you attend Ignite from home, what, what's the cost as opposed to going to the actual event? Uh, which is a great question. It's free if you attend virtually, which is awesome. So all this, you know, world-class speaker content that that is provided, it's free. So you can just connect using their website and you can stream the content. If you do want to go to the in-person event in Seattle, you pay about 1900 US dollars and, and that's it. So I, I think that's pretty affordable for an on-site event right now. For me, if I was in that neck of the woods, I would probably consider going, even though uh, it, it might feel expensive. I think it's worth it in terms of networking and the opportunity around that. What about you? Uh, for me, so I'd love to attend in person, but I, I, I feel the travel, especially from the Nordics to Seattle, the flight is typically uh, with one layover. So the travel plus plus everything else typically takes about 24 hours from door to door one way and then you have a jet lag of seven to nine hours and then you sit jet lag through the sessions and then you head back home and you have a different type of jet lag so so back in the day yes i would do this quite frequently but now just the travel feels like an insurmountable task Possibly for the cost, yes, almost $2,000 for the tickets, plus the hotel, plus the flights, plus everything else. Perhaps more important in terms of time commitment, being away from home, uh, having the family manage without you being around for maybe five days, and also clearing up the week from all work-related responsibilities. And somehow, back in the day, this, this was easier. You would perhaps know four or five or six months ahead that, okay, there's Ignite, it's going to be this week. So I will travel on Sunday, I will come back on Friday, I will be gone for five days and 
everybody was okay with this. But now I feel because there's so much more happening locally at the same time, because there's been less travel, that now taking the five days, it feels different, even if it perhaps isn't. So no, I am not traveling in person. And I like that the digital version, the online version is free, but perhaps Microsoft is, is doing a sort of a disservice globally here. They have their premium events, Build and Ignite and Inspire and so on. They are all free. So if you now try to organize an event, which would be uh, run by a community as an example, it's really hard to do an online event and try to charge for the tickets. People look at Microsoft and go, well, that's free, so why should I pay you? And it's a valid argument, but at the same time, I feel the digital one could perhaps charge something, let's say $50, just to make you show up online as well. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. I, I would gladly pay 50 bucks. And like you mentioned, the travel cost, the hotels being a, away from, from the family for a week, there's a lot of expenses, both in both in time and resources. So, um, you know, I, I think most corporations would sponsor their employees for 50 bucks or even 200 bucks if, if that's the case. So um, might also prove to be a more sustainable way to run digital events. So so they, they don't just become an expense for the provider, but they can also pull something in. What I really like is I took a look at the website uh, this time and found that the, the list of featured speaker might indicate some juicy updates, uh, but we'll know more about that when the event happens. You have the the usual suspects, uh, Satya Nadella, the, the chairman and CEO, as you probably all know, Scott Gu, or the Gu, the guy always wearing a red polo shirt, is the executive VP for Microsoft Cloud and AI. So there's probably some things coming around Azure, you know, and, and the AI and, and whatever goes on in, in that sphere. Alyssa Taylor, Corporate Vice President for Industry Apps and Data Marketing, and Vasu Jakal, Corporate Vice President for Security Compliance and Identity. So I think just looking at who these folks are and that they're highlighted featured speakers might also indicate that there's stuff coming in security area, something in you know general Azure and AI, and of course, the maybe the big vision when, when Satya talks about uh, something in the keynote where he usually talks about trends or talks about how we should empower everyone on the planet to achieve more and learn more and get access to things. And I'm, I'm really looking forward to that. Myself as well. And back in the day when, when you would go physically to see the keynotes, they would always open the events. You would perhaps sit in one of the front rows and, and they would do it live for you. Perhaps there was a small hiccup in a demo and you would sort of snicker in the, in the front row. Yeah, they didn't rehearse this well enough. But now I feel that all the keynotes are pre-recorded, which makes them more fluent or more fluid in the sense. But at the same time, I feel they are a little bit too rehearsed because you can you can feel that they cut out the ums and the ums. And it it's, it's like watching a sort of a movie in a sense, which is nice. But I, I, I'm perhaps sort of, asking or hoping for a little bit more more normality in there that it's fine if something doesn't work and it's fine if it's not down to the second optimized in terms of the content yeah i i agree with that and i think it's for me it's the authentic experience is always the best 
when you can watch something and you realize it's a human talking to us, and like we do with the podcast. We have not edited a single episode, and we're now over 150 episodes. We have edited zero episodes as you know, apart from just adding the intro and the outro stuff. So we don't we don't do that. We're humans. We will say M and we will think and we will stop to say something. We will occasionally talk over one another and that's fine. I would expect the same kind of authentic experience from any speech. I understand that pre-recorded stuff is great because it's fluent, but at the same time, it doesn't really matter to me if you have, you know, a moment to think or if you use filler words to like I'm doing now to think what do you want to say and I'm okay with that but I think there is kind of the usual structure going on here for the event we have the keynotes and as always um you know Microsoft usually reveals the latest innovations that shape the the future of business you know big thinking kind of stuff you have the core theme sessions where we uh, take a look at tech trends uh, dive deeper on specific topics that comes from the t- keynotes and stuff like that uh, so whatever the themes are coming out of the keynotes, these core themes kind of follow up on that. Uh, we have the product deep dives where engineers and experts around the globe share their insights. They show demos of new tech and showcase and guide us through the next evolution of products, stuff like that. Uh, and of course, the opportunity to network. So uh, I think we've also stated that in previous episodes, this works best in person, period. Uh, you can network virtually, but that's not easy. Other than some interactive chats on the website, there is nothing that really beats the in-person experience face-to-face. I know for the the last couple of Ignites and Build and whatever conferences that was online, you had this opportunity, if you will, to connect to other delegates of the conference, to other people attending and to speakers and to you know the community. I tried to do that. It's literally impossible. You watch a session and there's a sidebar with a chat and there's just a bunch of people saying great presentation plus one you know whatever it's close to impossible to really connect with anyone because it's just a stream of comments like you see see on youtube when you see a live stream video there's a bunch of people hitting the like button and commenting which is great i like that functionality but it's not networking right there's a, a difference to me b- between adding reactions and adding your comments and actually networking where you can speak to one another and connect and really get to know the other person. We don't get that with a virtual event. You know, anyone tuning in, prove me prove me wrong here. Uh, I've attended a couple of these events. I find it extremely hard to actually get to know new people and get to network with people. One of, one of the things that I really liked uh, when, when we had the major Ignite and Build events as in person was that you had so many sessions to choose from and you often had to walk a lot between the different breakout rooms. You could go to the expo, they, they had these comfy sofas, you could sit there, plug in your headphones, choose an audio channel and they had a huge wall of, of TVs. So you could focus on, on TV number one, select audio channel one, you would get the live stream of the in-person session. And if you didn't like that or you wanted something else, you could just switch to a different channel and watch a different TV. And this is perhaps something ideally that would be fun to have at home. So obviously you can have multiple displays, but often I feel that the the whole experience is built around that. These are the keynotes. Have a look at those. 
and if there's a session ongoing, you really cannot focus on two things at the same time. So to sort of recap, the in-person would be great. Perhaps we need to wait a year or two more for, for those hopefully to, to become what they used to be. But at the same time, I, I feel that attending remotely, it's, it's almost too easy. I can fix dinner for the kids and have one earbud on listening on a keynote and it's super easy. Uh, one last thing on this before we move, move, move on with the content. The event is October 12th to 14th. So, so it's three days, not four or five this time. And I think it's more packed in the sense that everything is online as well. So it's easier for you to consume the content and, and you don't need to build as much breaks and, and buffers in between the sessions at the same time. Yeah, I, I think it's the way I recall reading on the website, it's two days full packed with content and then you have like the maybe the pre or post day sessions and stuff like this. The, the other thing I want to highlight, which I think is new this year, is the Microsoft Ignite Spotlights. And that's kind of a new experience with connection opportunities from local leaders, partners and experts and your local community. So that is digitally available, but with in-person options. And that's coming back to the networking thing. How do you network if this is in the States and I'm in Europe? So this is awesome. So there are several places that offer an in-person event in several countries. These are free to attend. And currently the countries listed are China, France, Germany, Latin America, and the UK. So you can use the Ignite Global Event content as the foundation for all of those content themes that goes on in these events. And then these local events discuss the news and announcements from the keynotes and the core themes, and then some market-specific things as well. So I think the networking opportunity, if you cannot go or travel to the US and be on site, exists in these Microsoft Ignite spotlights. So just a sidetrack, I wanted to highlight that if you're still keen on exploring, how can I get to meet people talk about the announcements, get connected with you know people in the industry. Take a look if any of those countries that, that we just listed or take a look in the show notes on the links. If there's an event close by, that is a lot easier for you to get to than to travel to the States. So there might be an option to to still do the networking thing. I, I like this. We should have the Control Alt Azure Ignite Spotlight, perhaps one in, in, in Malmö and one in Helsinki simultaneously. It would be you over there, me over here. The door would be locked. We don't want to see any people, but we have the local Ignite Spotlight. So on on the contents, what, what are you sort of expecting to hear or see during Ignite? And and I realize our show is is about Azure, but perhaps we can we can take a quick peek around on what else besides Azure-related announcements and updates and content will Ignite hold. Any thoughts on this? I, I do have some thoughts on this. And I mean, while we cannot really predict the future, as always, uh, some quality guesses would be more security. And I think this is a, a safe bet. Whenever we say more security, we're going to be, that's going to happen, right? Because every month, every day, there's new security innovations. And given the the list of featured speakers that I mentioned before, you know, the corporate vice president for security compliance and identity, Vasu Jakal, 
probably indicates there's going to be something in the GRC governance, risk and compliance area, maybe security tooling for defense, like defender capabilities, Sentinel capabilities, enhanced Azure service protections, stuff like that. I think security trainings and security awareness is growing. So Microsoft Learn security stuff, and also in general, how do you educate your users on security and maybe growing awareness for things like zero trust and the Microsoft cybersecurity reference architectures, stuff like that. I don't think there's enough focus on that. A lot of people know about them. A lot of people use them. I think more should take a look at them. Um, and I also recently read in the Fortune magazine on the education section that Microsoft builds fast track to six-figure cybersecurity jobs at more than 180 colleges. So by 2025, there will be three and a half million cybersecurity jobs open globally. And that is an increase of 350% in the last eight years. So this area is growing rapidly. And looking at that and looking that this magazine wrote that Microsoft is building, you know, the fast track for these cybersecurity jobs at more than 180 colleagues or colleges indicates to me that, you know, it's a big bet on cybersecurity still. But I think we're, we haven't seen the culmination of that yet. I think this is a growing trend. So cybersecurity and security in the last couple of years has been extremely hot. I think moving forward, it's going to keep burning uh, because the threats will not sleep and the threat actors will not sleep. Neither can we. So I, I think that's one of the things that I will see uh, at Ignite, that I expect to see at Ignite, a lot around security and, and risk. That that would be my bet as well. Uh, besides Azure, and and I don't really follow up too closely on everything that Microsoft has. I, I do keep tabs on Power Platform quite a bit, but much less on Teams and SharePoint and and Windows Server stuff nowadays. So I'm expecting updated statistics on Teams usage. I, I feel that Jeff Teeper and his team often highlight during Build and Ignite, they highlight where are we going, what's the status now, what sort of usage are we seeing, what sort of patterns are we, are we seeing. So that will be interesting for sure. Uh, Windows 11, the latest update there, 22H2, I think that's still the, the the code name or the calling sign for that. I think I read yesterday that that it, it will be Windows 11 2022 updates that it might be eventually called. So that might be officially released and it's already available through the Windows Insider capabilities and probably a lot of smaller things being announced and released. But this is probably the the first time in years that I'm I'm sort of not expecting something major to be announced, like here is Windows 12 or here is <laughs> Azure 2.0, but more on small updates here and there and maybe some major updates that we're sort of not expecting yet. Yeah, I think that's a good good reflection. I, I love the Windows 11 update there. And uh, yeah, hopefully that goes into GA and, and is officially released. And like you say, it's already available for insiders. Uh, so maybe there's some related updates to that. What I also expect to see is more on like a green IT and sustainability, because there's a statement on the Microsoft blog that says by 2030, Microsoft will be carbon negative, and by 2050, Microsoft will remove from the environment all the carbon 
that the company has emitted either directly or by electrical consumption since its inception in 1975. And that's pretty impressive goals, right? It's not just to say that from now on, we're not going to emit, we're not going to have any emissions, like we're going to be carbon neutral. Uh, and they're not going to say, we just want to be carbon negative. They're saying we're going to remove all the carbon that we ever put into the atmosphere, which is kind of cool. So it's a very ambitious goal. Uh, and for that reason, I think we will see more things in this area. They're already doing, I took a, a, a look and read through some of the announcements in, in these areas from the last couple of years, and they are very dedicated to this. And we often see this, I, I think we talked about some of the updates, we talked in, in some of the update episodes, we talked about how some new data centers are only using renewable energy and things like that, which is super important for the global yeah, for the global climate, but it's also important for a lot of companies where sustainability and you know becoming a green kind of company and green IT um, has a priority, you know, from the top chain all the way down. I think this is also something that we might see something about. I don't know if we're going to see this at Ignite or if if this is something that just is going to keep happening. Because looking back through the Microsoft blog, we can see that there's a lot of posts around these things. So hopefully we see something about that. So I think that's one thing. Other than that, yeah, like you mentioned, a bunch of updates for Azure. So I think after Ignite, we will have like a recap episode where we actually digest the the big announcements. And after that, we probably have to do an Azure update episode because there is usually with any of these events, you go into the Azure update section of the Azure website and you see that, okay, today at 3 p.m. or whatever, there's 200 new updates because they all happen at once when, when the keynote goes live. So I think in the coming weeks, we can expect quite a quite a few updates around what actually happened in Ignite. But these are like my top quality guesses. So security, you know, a, a better sustainable future, uh, maybe some things around AI, um, you know, how, how AI can, how we can leverage AI to build more uh, robust and sustainable so solutions throughout the, the coming, kind of decades and ethical AI for that reason as well. I like the sustainability angle. It's super ambitious. And, and I think Microsoft is one of those companies that can pull this off. Two things on sustainability. Uh, one is that in Windows 11, when you open Windows settings, you click on Windows update, there's a small green leaf underneath the menu saying that the, the goal and the aim now with Windows updates is to run those updates and reboot the machine when it's most energy efficient. So if you get green energy from your energy provider, Windows tries to sense that capability and will then optimize the updates for that. But I think for now, the, the only supported providers are two listed providers in the US. So it would be great to have this globally available, perhaps even for me to tinker a little bit with that, to to allow me to say, well, I am actually getting solar power today for two hours. This would be the optimal time to run any updates you need for my boxes instead of at nighttime or instead of at 5 p.m. or whenever. So so that's the first thought I had. The second on, on sustainability, obviously, is that the more we move our workloads to the cloud, 
probably Microsoft and Amazon and Google and so on, they are sitting at a position where they can do massive changes in terms of, of CO2 emissions simply by optimizing their end. So we perhaps have to do less, but it still requires us to do something as well. For the updates, what I'm also expecting is updates on the Microsoft partner programs. I feel it's a little bit messy now because there's huge changes happening this year and next year. So they've been communicated quite openly, but I've read everything they've posted. And whenever you've read one guide, there's links to five different FAQs, you open those. There's even more questions and more acronyms and more things that you're unsure if this applies to our company or not. So I'm perhaps hoping and expecting more transparency and, and more solid advice on the partner updates and reminders and due dates and whatnot. For Azure, uh, I think not a single major event goes by before, uh, unless we get Cosmos DB updates. And now, of course, container apps updates. Mm, some of the services that we mentioned already today and in previous episodes, the Defender Threat Intelligence and Defender ESM, they are in preview. Those could be perhaps generally available by Ignite timeframe. And a lot of the things in Microsoft Entra, which is sort of the entrance doorway to all things identity in the cloud, that could probably get some GA capabilities. But I, I, I think that's sort of my expectation for that. But, but Toby, how are you planning on following up on Ignite? Because for our time zone, I feel a lot of the sessions and the keynotes will be from 6 p.m. until something like 2 in the morning. Yeah, so that that's always the thing. And I mean, back in the day when I was young, say mid-20s, I would stay up all night because I wanted to get the latest stuff and I could blog about it, I could tweet about it, and I could do this and that. I don't care. Honestly, I don't attend sessions for the content. Usually I go to in-person events for the networking. But in the case of these events, usually I might watch the keynote. If that's 4 or 5 p.m. my time, I can watch it. Other than that, you know, I've got a family and two kids to take care of, and I, I'd rather spend time with them when they're awake and then watch these recordings whenever I can. So from my point of view, I will watch whatever I can if they're applicable to my time zone when they happen. Otherwise, I'll just do it the next day or in the coming week. There's no rush. There's you know no reason for me to be the first one to learn about whatever happens in the keynote because nobody cares if you know that first or not. The only thing I care about is understanding the tech trends, understanding the landscape, and understanding what's important, what is the focus area moving forward, what are the, like the key product and service updates. That's what I'm interested in. So no, I'm not going to turn myself inside out so I can sit at 2 p.m. to to watch some random session on improvements in .NET 6, not because I don't find it interesting, but because I'd rather sleep. Coming back to a, a healthy work-life balance is important. So I, I have no problem saying no thank you to to that, which is one of the benefits of, of these virtual digital events. You don't have to be there all the time. You can just jump in and jump out and then you can watch the recordings. What about you? 
Uh, for me, I was just just looking at my calendar. So for October 12th to 14th, when Ignite is happening, so I I think the, the, the main keynotes would be on Wednesday, October 12th. I am actually sitting in a train about three and a half hours to, to, to visit a customer in central Finland. So I might be looking or watching the keynotes in real time, assuming the Wi-Fi on the train or my mobile data on the train works uh, without any hiccups. But then when the actual sessions land, what I often try to do, I, I, I know I mentioned this before, is I, I try to download them all. I put them on my media server. And then every evening, just before going to bed, I have a task of, of watching at least one session before falling asleep. And by watching a session, I don't mean that I'm focusing for 50 minutes. I'm skipping the intros. Oh, here's the beefy thing. It's two minutes. Something interesting there. Let me skip the rest. And this is not that I don't think all of the content is, is valuable and, and, and useful. But depending on a given time, I might need to learn more about X instead of Y or Z. So I will focus on X and everything else I can discard. But knowing myself, I will watch perhaps 10 to 20 sessions. I will put the rest aside and I will return to those during Christmas break, which never happens, obviously, because Christmas break is, is often family time and wrapping up the fiscal year and everything else. And then I just let them go. And then we have the next Ignite and I sort of forget about the old, old stuff by then. 10 to 20 sessions, that's a lot. I usually watch between one and three sessions and usually at 1.5 times the speed. So you can just kind of have it on in the background and you can, whenever something interesting come up, you can kind of slow it down and, and say, okay, I need to repeat that because that looked cool or I need to learn that. Other than that, I I, I don't know. Like I, who has the time? That's also one of the things with virtual events, right? You don't take or make the time the same way as you do with an in-person event. So attending Ignite virtually is a lot more difficult it shouldn't be, but it is a lot more difficult to, for example, go to your employer and say, hey, I'm going to attend a virtual event for three days. And I'm not going to be able to work at all because I need to attend an event. And it's always like, well, you don't have to commute. You don't have to take a hotel. You don't have to travel. So you can just work daytime and then you can watch the event nighttime, which is something we heard from a lot of companies you know, previously. Hopefully there's a better balance there. So if you really do want to attend those 10 or 20 sessions, I would argue, take the time off, like block the time for the event and don't work during those days, just attend sessions. Otherwise, I would never have time to catch up. So for me, between one and three sessions, because I don't block the time, because it, it's not that important to me. But if it is to you, then my recommendation is that, because the same way as, as you, I used to mark, like mark this as a favorite, mark this as watch later, watch later. Now I have 250 things I need to read or watch later. And I, I just take a look at it, get some anxiety, close it again. And uh, no, I, I will never take a look at them. <laughs> yeah, let's let's see how this goes. Because uh, last Ignite, which was in early 2022, I think I had the same commitment and I managed to watch about 50 or 60 in total. So, so this time 20 is, 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 is a modest goal for me. All righty. I, I think we've exhausted our opinions on all things Ignite. If you are planning on attending in person or, or remotely uh, to the online things, 
let us know how it's going for you and if, if you have any insights on any of the announcements or any experiences on the events. The last bit, the unexpected question, Toby, I will be asking you the unexpected question. Are you ready? Alrighty. So this is a tricky one. Many people might not remember this, but IBM once announced support for something called JSON X, and it stands for JSON as XML, allowing you to convert XML messages to XML messages to JSON messages and back. So what would have to happen in your life, physically and or mentally, to find yourself one morning trying to learn and use JSON X? Wow. That is an unexpected question. I think, uh, you know, as always, like the the mature answer here, it, it depends on the business requirements and whatever and the situation and variables. But honestly, if I can avoid this, I will do it until my last breath. I know about JSONX and I've seen it in action. You have a JSON file and I saw an implementation that someone built where they used JSONX to convert to XML because they thought XML was easier to parse in their system, which means they built an entire library around JSONX to convert their JSON files with, you know, special characters and special things had to be escaped. So you had to do like the backslash U and then, and then, you know, all these kind of identifiers and ridiculous amount of work, like an entire library, hundreds of C-sharp files to support converting JSON to XML with their specific business requirements because it was easier to parse XML. That's the only reason. There was no business requirements actually to use XML. It was more our developers know XML because they come from that background. So instead of using JSON, which like all the APIs give you everything in JSON, instead of doing that, they said, well, let's turn that into XML on the fly using this complicated thing that we built um, and then escaping everything and running it through integration tests and a bunch, like thousands of unit tests. And then you get your valid XML output. Super complicated, super strange. And uh, that's my only encounter with JSONX. I really hope I never have to um, encounter that again. I don't particularly see a good reason for, for that unless there's like a legacy system or some kind of system that only accept a specific format. Um, so what would I do? Well, if this happens in my life, I would try to avoid this situation by all means. I, I only have bad memories from this type of conversion. Sounds like a solid advice. I'm getting flashbacks on SOAP and XSD and XSLT, XML in general. I never want to go back to that time. Alrighty, thank you for joining us and bye now until next week. All right, see you then.